You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken. Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos. We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no deal. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And there is, as always, a lot to talk about on the it, Brexit front. There really is. We've had another meeting this morning, this time between Barclay, the Brexit secretary, and Barnier over in the EU. That, both sides said, was constructive as well. So building on that positive sentiment from the johnson Varadkar meeting yesterday, not seeing a whole lot of substance, though, are we? No, we hear about a pathway, but we don't know what's in that pathway. But just to give you a flavour, what's been around this morning. The EU Council President Donald Tusk has been saying he's received promising signals from the Irish Prime Minister that a Brexit deal is still possible. Technical talks are taking place in Brussels as we speak. Of course, there's no guarantee of success and the time is practically up. But even the slightest chance must be used. And then this morning we heard Leo Varadkar, the uh, Irish Taoiseach as well, saying that it's possible talks may now enter the tunnel, an ominous term for the next intensive phase of talks, although he anticipates that the UK will make more detailed proposals. And this is still what we need to get some sort of substantial deal. Uh, so in a minute, we're going to speak to Tim Bale. He's a professor of politics at Queen Mary University in London. But first, let's bring in Bloomberg's very own Brexit editor, Edward Evans, to clear some of this up for us. Edward, I'm looking at the markets as well today often a good indicator of of sentiment. You're seeing the pound up. You're seeing a lot of UK stocks up as well, particularly banks and housing uh, companies. Is this confidence misplaced? Uh, there's a, it's, it's putting a lot of trust in a very little information that we've had from this meeting. But look, you, you have to go back to Wednesday and look at how negative everyone was, particularly the markets, you know, with particularly the, the relations between the UK and Ireland. And this is really an excuse to look for some kind of relief. Uh, the names that you're seeing, the, the banks, the construction, these are all the typical Brexit plays that you'd expect yeah. to move in this kind of situation. OK, so, I mean, it, the pathway is what they're calling it. I mean, I've heard all sorts of other things floating around this morning, including the idea of an all-Ireland free trade zone. What what do we actually know or even suspect is in this pathway? Both sides are keeping very tight-lipped on it at the moment. There are two areas where they could move. First, on consent. Now, this is the idea that Stormont, or more effectively, the DUP, would have a veto on the proposals. And it's possible that Johnson will move on that and, and water that down in some way. The second bit, as you say, would be the, the free trade zone in Northern Ireland. That would effectively mean keeping Northern Ireland 
Ireland in the EU's customs union and the UK's customs union. Now, this has been an idea that's been floated around. It hasn't flown before. Um, but the question now is, is there a political, have the Irish moved sufficiently to allow that? Have the Brits allowed that? Has there been some kind of compromise on that? Again, it's all very unclear at this point. A lot of people are reading an awful lot into this and there's an awful long way to go. A pathway can be very long. Yeah, a lot of this stuff sounds like the sort of thing that the DUP would be particularly keen on. It, could we see Johnson throw them under the bus here? Uh, yes. I mean, this is. Ba- I mean, basically, that's what. He, if he's going to get a deal through Parliament, if he's going to get a deal together that is acceptable, so I should say to the Irish, that is what he needs to do. Um, the problem, of course, is in Parliament. He's got the ten DUP votes. He needs them to back a, a deal. Um, the DUP so far has been pretty tight-lipped on this uh, response. Surprisingly tight-lipped, you might think. Um, so we'll see where what how they come out. They, now remember, they've come out and sunk these things before. Uh, it's quite possible they could do so again. In that situation, I mean, we, we should talk about the process here. They've gone, Barclay has gone to talk to Barnier. There is, everyone's reading a lot into the moment where they go into the tunnel, uh, which I think is EU speak for where they actually start talking about the um, talk about the details of yeah. that. So in process terms, where does it go from here? Well, we're moving from basically talks about talks to actual talks. Um, well, Barnier's obviously got to talk to the, the EU 27 ambassadors, got their, get their agreement, and then we go into this tunnel. This is where basically it goes into lockdown and they start negotiating line by line on the proposals. At the end of that, there is a, a recommendation or not and an agreement or not. So that that's the process from here. There's still you know a long way to go because after that, it's got to get through the various parliaments and the rest of it. So it, it, again, it's, it's one little step. But the fact is you know, the talks are still continuing. And if you go back earlier in the week, it's seemed very much like this the whole the whole whole thing was going to come falling apart how much has the last 24 hours gone towards restoring trust uh, in johnson from the eu because that was really eroded last week wasn't it yes um don't forget he hasn't johnson hasn't spoken so much to the eu it's this is one conversation alone with leo varadka um it's not clear of course you know has johnson said what has johnson essentially told varadka something he wants to hear has he misspoken i mean this is you know, johnson has a track record of doing that um so does this go some way to re- re- restoring trust in johnson it doesn't make it any worse, um, but it's going to be, you know, there's still a lot of mistrust there, I think, on the European side. He's got a long way to go to, to break down that barrier. But, Ed, the line all the way along has been from Brussels that if the Irish accept the situation, that kind of makes it work for Brussels. Yes. There is no, without Ireland, there is no deal from the Euro- European perspective. So if Boris and Varadka have pulled a unicorn out of a hat on this uh, and have got an agreement, there's a very good chance then that the rest of Europe will fall into line behind it. The problems, though, could be on the customs union and whether that, you know, whether what is agreed between those two is acceptable to the rest of Europe, whether you know, the integrity of the EU's customs union is protected. But essentially, if he gets Ireland on board, if he can stitch it up with Varadka, the thing, it all it begins to fall into place. Don't forget, though, it's still got to go through the UK Parliament, and that's well, not a given. And on that, I saw a tweet from Nick Bowles, now an independent MP, saying that any deal agreed by Johnson will be the hardest Brexit the ERG will ever get. Do they need to be heeding this warning or can they afford to gamble once more? Well, there's a choice. They, they really have got a choice now that it's no, it, it's this deal or no Brexit at all. And I think with, with, with where... You know, this is how long this has gone on. Patience is wearing out, and for the for the ERG, there's the real prospect of an election and, a, and a, possibly a Corbyn government that will focus minds at this point. 
Um, you know, whether it focuses the DUP minds is another question, but it certainly looks like the if the ERG are under pressure. And certainly on the other side of the party, those rebels who, who, who left the part, who were ex, uh, exiled from the party, shall we say, you know, there's a deal for them to back as well. So it's possible the numbers could fall into place. But again, very... But I was going to say the technicalities, though, are we, you know, the timetable is is pretty difficult. You've got the EU summit. You've got the Queen's speech on Monday. Yeah. Uh, it's all piling up, and there is a, a date now two and a half weeks away in which, at least theoretically, Britain leaves. Uh, it, it, can any of this actually be done? I mean, the EU isn't noted for its speed. Well, Boris Johnson, as a journalist, was notorious for breaking every single deadline anybody set him. <laughs> uh, and that's very much likely what the case, yeah. what's going to happen here. Uh, I mean, whatever happens, if the, everything goes perfectly and a deal is agreed, there would still actually have to be an extension agreed just to get the, the technicalities in place yeah. for Britain to leave the EU. So we wouldn't be leaving on the 31st of October, really, whatever happens. The question then is, when we get to really the end of this coming week, are we, are, the question is, are we going to be close to a deal at all uh, or or not? And then where do we go from, from there? It's not, you know, we won't really know until the end of the week. And then looking ahead, there's been some speculation about an election this year, a winter election. How likely is that looking at this stage? Uh, winter elections are traditionally a big no-no in British politics. I think the last one was November 74. Uh, didn't work out wonderfully for the governing party. And don't forget, if you're canvassing in an election, you can't be on the doorstep really after dark. So there are pra good practical reasons why British elections have tended to be in the spring and the summer and the early autumn. Um, this would be a very unusual election. It could possibly slip into next year, especially if there is the chance of a deal. I'm so old, I remember the election of November 1974. <laughs> I didn't vote in it, he hastens to add, but uh, it was Harold Wilson who didn't didn't get a better result than he did the, in the previous election the same year. But I suppose the thing in all this, Ed, is there a risk that everyone is so keen for something to come out of this that wishful thinking is driving? I mean, there's the old, I think it was Shimon Peres, the Israeli leader, who said that the good news is there's light at the end of the tunnel, the bad news is there isn't a tunnel. Or it's the train coming towards you. Or it's the train, the train coming, coming towards you, which is the other. Is there a risk of being led by, by hope and expectation? Really? Yeah, we've been here before on these things where you know, we get close, we get close, and then it, then it all falls apart. Um, it could very well go to an extension. I think you know, the, 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 there's, Europe is very clear that it does not want to be responsible for a no deal and the economic um, disruption that that would cause. Both sides want to avoid that. And as long as that's still the case, this will go on. Um, I think that the, the Johnson's claim to be leaving without a deal, I think the Ben Act has, has stopped that for now. We'll see what he can do to get around that. Um, so really, in that situation, if this goes on and on and on uh, until there is some, some form of agreement. It may take time uh, and it may go to no deal at a later date, but maybe not immediately. How does Johnson then sell that? Because he stakes so much on this October the 31st date. He can't say, we're extending it, we're getting closer, but we're not quite there yet. That's just not enough. It's difficult. I mean, he, his pitch is for this election is very clearly going to be, it's me the, as your representative of the people versus parliament. The judges have stopped me. Those, those MPs have stopped me. You electors, please give me votes so I can get this through. That's clearly the, the pitch. It's hard for him to do that, as you say, when he's got a delay. I think the way he tries to square that is by saying, look, I've tried, we're close, you, you trust me, give me time. The difficulty then for him is going to be whether he can square the Brexit party. Of course, with them in the po polling where they are in the polls, it's much harder for him to get an outright majority. But at the same time, in the complications, you've also got, of course, the, the calculations of the SNP, of Labour, of everything else, and there's no certainty as we sit that whatever he brings back can actually 
go through. So the question marks really are probably still too much to actually get a deal. Certainly through this parliament. I think you know, it, 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 it's early to predict. I, the Saturday sitting on the 19th is really the last chance for this parliament to decide. Th th at that point, surely we would end up going to an election after that. Ed, thanks so much for that. Uh, a summary there of where we are in all this. And in the next half of the programme, we're going to be talking to Tim Bale, Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University. And I'm Sebastian Starlick, and in just a moment, we're going to speak to Tim Bale. He's a politics professor at Queen Mary University of London. Looking ahead to that big week, we've got the Queen's speech, of course, and then the EU summit later on. So a lot to think about. But first, let's have a look through the papers. Um, we've got a lot of front page splashes there on a possible breakthrough in Brexit talk. So Boris Johnson will be pleased with that. Uh, first, let's have a look at this Telegraph editorial. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Northern Ireland would prove a costly prize for Leo Varadkar. That's from The Telegraph. The Irish problem is how British historians used to refer to the machinations of Irish nationalism and independence, with good reason, given the abominable, subservient way in which Ireland has been treated at key points in our shared and often troubled history. The Irish tend to think of it as the British problem. But whichever way you want to argue the age-old enmity, what's certainly true is that co-membership of the EU has allowed the wounds to heal, enabling a degree of harmonious coexistence that might once have been thought impossible. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the timeline of it from the 90s, that's when we started to see things settling down a little bit, didn't we? Of course, with the Good Friday Agreement as well, all of this potentially under threat. This is front and centre in all of these discussions. I'm looking at Larry Elliott, the economics editor of The Guardian, writing that Johnson's thin coat of red paint could help him win an election or could indeed win him an election. And it makes the point that Johnson is flipping Cameron's strategy on its head. He's now targeting economically liberal but socially conservative voters. And he warns Labour. He says that you need to take this threat seriously. The Conservatives focusing on voters in the seats where the election will be won and lost. Of Labour's 45 seats in England and Wales, he says, all but 10 voted leave in the 2016 referendum. So lots of vulnerabilities. And he talks about how Labour can't repeat its 2017 performance because this time it is about Brexit. He says Labour is now two parties, a middle class party dominated by people who see politics through the prism of identity and a working class party dominated by people who see politics through the prism of of class. There's some deep analysis there of what's already a very fractured party. Indeed. Well, to talk rather more about politics and where it's going in Britain, we're very pleased now to be joined by Tim Bale, Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University, London. Uh, Tim, uh, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Well, uh, Let's just take the, f the week that's coming, because it is, I mean, there's been so many unprecedented events in British politics in the last few months, but th now we've got a Queen's speech coming up and then a debate on the Queen's speech that the government probably can't actually deliver. Can you take us through that? <laughs> yes, I mean, um, Labour have criticised uh, the upcoming Queen's speech for being, as it were, a shop window for Conservative policies for the next election. Well, surprise, surprise, that's <laughs> normally what you would get in a Queen's speech before an election. Um, the um, editorial you read out there, or the, the op-ed you read out there from uh, Larry Elliott, I think is is quite important in the sense that uh, the, the Conservatives have clearly been putting a lot of effort not just into talking about getting Brexit done, but also into policies which they hope anyway will cut off the lines of attack that Labour used very effectively in 2017. So clearly the plan, um, if Boris Johnson gets his way, is to get Brexit done, although we can talk about whether <laughs> that actually means anything and then go into an election 
um, celebrating that fact and also um, suggesting to people that they're going to spend a lot more money and that the age of austerity is now over. And that could be a very compelling message, I think, for the electorate. Good afternoon, Tim. Roger was mentioning there that the Queen's speech could be voted down. Surely that's advantageous to Johnson. It builds his case that an election is needed. Yes, I mean, I think so. I mean, that uh, Conservative election plan also includes, I think, um, you know, the, the idea of the people versus Parliament. Uh, and I, I think any kind of defeat on the Queen's speech um, would, would, would help in that respect. What it won't do, of course, is necessarily trigger an election. Um, I, I've talked about an election upcoming, but we've no absolute guarantee that, that one will actually take place as early as Mr Johnson might like it. We've been hearing very recently that uh, Labour MPs are understandably very worried about the prospect and that, in fact, yesterday Jeremy Corbyn was due to say, and it was briefed out to the press, that he was, quote-unquote, champing at the bit uh, to have that election. But actually those words were removed from the speech, which suggests that maybe he is coming under some pressure from his MPs to delay the election uh, and therefore deny Boris Johnson this chance to go, if he gets a deal, for a kind of celebratory people versus the parliament election but tim if that doesn't work if 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 the election doesn't come then what do we do we, we limp forward with a government that's not effective can't rule or we go for a government of national unity that can barely rule uh, that limps on into the autumn possibly to to christmas and beyond yeah, I mean, that is a possibility. I mean, you know, the, the government cannot kill itself unless it decides to order its MPs to vote no confidence in itself. And it can't necessarily even then guarantee getting election uh, either. It may be that Labour would just like to, you know, leave it in place, not allow it really to do anything. And although obviously some people would regard that as a constitutional outrage, politically you can understand why Labour MPs might want to do that, while Mr Johnson seems to be so far ahead in the polls. The problem, of course, for Labour would be that that might actually increase uh, public support for Mr Johnson and the Conservative Party and decrease support for the Labour Party. And the Labour Party has to be very, very worried, I think, now. I mean, Boris Johnson seems to be consistently ahead of Jeremy Corbyn, uh, even though Boris Johnson isn't particularly um, popular. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn is very, very unpopular. The Conservatives seem to have opened up quite a lead over the Labour Party, and they've got the Liberal Democrats nipping at their heels the other way. So Labour are in a a very, very difficult, very tricky position here, and they might just want to to hold on and hope things turn turn a little bit better for them later on. And and you're quite right. We, We could end up not having an election, although everyone's expecting one, uh, until even the spring. So what platform does Labour then run this election on if it's in so much trouble? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I think what it's got to hope, if Boris Johnson does manage to get this, this deal done, is that obviously people will be grateful for, for uh, you know, the deal being done, but that people will then realise that, in fact, there's still an awful lot to go when it comes to uh, negotiating Brexit. But they will also, perhaps, thinking Brexit is over, turn to uh, other questions and there, I think Labour still feels that it can outbid the Conservatives on public services, so on spending on education and on the health service. And, uh, you know, there is some, uh, I guess, optimism on Labour's uh, part in that respect, in the sense that although the Conservatives, I think, can do as much as possible to close down those lines of attack, they can't ultimately alter the fact that most people tend to trust the Labour Party on on questions of, of, of welfare and, and, and public spending, and particularly on the health service. So, you know, it, it could be that they 
they they have some lines of attack they can open up. They can always outbid the Conservatives on those issues, although that does then pose a problem for Labour because the more they offer to spend uh, you know, over and above what the Conservatives are offering to spend, the more the Conservatives will be able to return to a kind of the traditional line of attack, which is where the money is going to come from. Well, that's a very interesting point because, because these elections, if and when they come, are going to be fought not in a way really that any election has been fought, I think, in Britain for many, many years. I suppose the point is, if the election is fought after some kind of Brexit, then perhaps there might be a reversion to traditional positions. But can we even be sure of that? No, I mean, I don't think we can be, because I think the public is going to realise pretty quickly after we've left, if we do leave on the 31st or, or, or just after, that in fact there is a whole lot more um, to be done. Because actually, because of the transition period envisaged in the withdrawal agreement, things won't change. <laughs> uh, and all we'll be into then is, is negotiating the future relationship with, uh, with the EU. Uh, so, so the idea that you know Brexit is done, uh, I think you know, well, will soon, I think, um, be exposed for for the myth it is, uh, and that means that uh, Brexit will still be uh, a subject of discussion, and we won't necessarily be able to move on or back to the kind of bread and butter issues that we all used to talk about um, when Brexit was just uh, you know a, a kind of gleam in the eye of Bill Cash, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, back in the 1990s. And if Brexit continues to be an issue, presumably, then that gives continued life to the Brexit party. I've got to ask you about electoral pacts and whether you see any playing out in this election. I feel like there's been so much rumbling that we've got to see some horse trading, possibly. Well, I mean, I think if you talk to Conservative MPs, many of them would be very, very wary about any kind of formal pact with the Brexit party. And and I think probably for good reason, because that might allow Brexit party MPs into Parliament. And one of the geniuses, if you like, of the Conservative party um, throughout the decades has has been to prevent any kind of party on its right uh, emerging, at least as a parliamentary force. Uh, the danger would be if you were to allow Brexit MPs into Parliament and you would you would allow people to see that uh, voting for them wasn't necessarily a kind of wasted effort, that you might get more of them coming in uh, in the future. And if we go right back in history to the early 20th century, that's exactly what happened to the Liberal Party. They did a deal with the Labour Party, um, which had just been born at that point, to allow some Labour MPs into Parliament. And within 10, 15 years, the Labour Party had replaced <laughs> the, the Liberal Party. So I, I think from the, the long-term point of view, the Conservatives would be, I think, very wise to be very wary. Having said that, of course, you know, we could get informal pacts and, and stand-down arrangements, um, you know, negotiated at a local level, well, perhaps, or just tactical voting. Well, speaking of informal arrangements, the SNP and Labour is an interesting one, kind of at the heart of the Rebel Alliance now. Could that go into an election in any way, do you think? I think that's that's tricky. I mean, I, I think... It's understandable, given that Labour now is actually fairly weak in Scotland and given that it's clearly going to need the SNP um, if it's to have any chance of forming a government, certainly, you know, given given current polling, um, you know, it might be tempted to, to go for that. But we saw what happened in 2015 when the Conservatives were able to, you know, spin uh, any uh, an arrangement between Labour and, and the SNP as somehow uh, unpatriotic un- or you know possibly chaotic. Uh, I don't really think the Labour Party would want to get into that position again. And people may or may not remember you know Ed Miliband in Alex Salmond's pocket. I don't think they want to see uh, a repeat of that and Jeremy Corbyn and Nicola Sturgeon's.
Uh, so, so to be very, very blunt, when we get to an election, how do you see things playing out if it indeed does get pushed into the spring very quickly? Well, if it does get pushed into the spring, I still think the Conservative Party has to be in the driving seat, to be honest. I think Jeremy Corbyn's numbers are so bad, uh, and the Labour Party is suffering because of its, uh, you know, its, uh, its okay. on Brexit. It's going to be in trouble. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.